At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Straight cash, homie. Would you please break the damn story? He took it out. Oh, for you. Friday edition of PFTPM. Your questions and only your questions with one caveat, one exception. Greg Olson, Panthers tight end. Interview that we taped yesterday. We'll play it all for you about halfway through. I'm not going to talk about anything. I'm just going to answer your questions, which will include talking about things. My point is I don't have anything to say. I'm just going to get to your questions. Let's get right to it. Let's get right to it. PFT Pam Posse, now that Chris Sims remembers you taking a shot at his dad years ago and said he owes you a punch to the chest, are you at all scared or intimidated to see him this weekend because of his penchant to hit you fueled by this? That was a reference to a comment I made about the Giants in the power rankings back before I even met Chris. I met Chris like a month later. And they were wearing, the Giants were, the old school 80s Giants helmets with Giants written out on them, white on white. And the comment was something like, Eli Manning looked like Phil Sims and played like him too. Something like that. Sims didn't like it. Sims was pissed at me for that. And then we would meet with him a month later, and I thought there was a weird vibe when I met him. I thought there was just something strange. It was an edge to him. Far different in that context than once I finally ended up working with him. So that's all it is. He's not going to, he's going to forget. He'll, for, he'll forget by then. Apparently I've accidentally blocked a member of the PFTPM posse playoff cap. Can I unblock him? He's never said anything that would get him blocked. And he's been a long time an active consumer of all things PFT. I never accidentally block anybody. Usually if you get blocked, cause you have to go through a couple of steps to block someone. There's no accidental block button. You can do the accidental like. You can do the butt like. Just as you're scrolling, you can thumb the heart accidentally. There's no accidental block. So I am very confident in saying this, that if playoff cap has been blocked, playoff cap has earned his block. And PFTPM Posse, you better tread lightly or you're next. I'm hoping that as I roll through these, or scroll as the case may be, these questions today, it doesn't become 1998 message board where you answer every question. You did it last week. I hope you don't do it this week. Here's another question from PFTPM Posse. As a Dallas Cowboys fan, can you make me feel better about Coach Ginger Clapp? What benefit and or advantage does he give the Cowboys coming into an NFL game? It's not his outdated offense or play calling, nor is it his clock game management, nor his defensive knowledge. Look, I think that Jason Garrett's most attractive attribute in the eyes of Jerry Jones over the years has been he allows Jerry Jones to suck up all the oxygen and be the face of the franchise and not try to run the show. And that's what Jerry Jones has wanted. He doesn't like to surrender control of the team to someone else. He did it with Jimmy Johnson, and Jimmy Johnson still gets all the credit for the first three Super Bowl championships, the only three, as it turns out, under the ownership of Jerry Jones. And then Jones got desperate in 2002 when he lured Bill Parcells to Dallas. And once again, he stepped out of the way and let Parcells run things his way. After that... Jones has been stuck in the, I want to do it my way. I want to build my own championship team. I want to be the voice, the face, the man. And I don't want to take a backseat to a coach, which has made Jason Garrett the perfect coach. Now, Jason Garrett has continued a streak that goes back to 1995 of the Cowboys not making it to the NFC championship game. He's made it to the divisional round twice. 
but there are flaws with the coaching. When they were playing well, we do the Football Night in America roundtable every Sunday after halftime of the Sunday night game. And the question was, what is the Cowboys' weakness? And I said coaching. At the time, there didn't seem to be a weakness on the roster. And let me tell you, if the Cowboys fail to achieve the expectations they had coming into the season, it's going to be Jason Garrett's fault in the eyes of Jerry and Stephen Jones because they have built a highly talented team. And that's when it becomes awkward for a coach. When the team is talented and the, and the team doesn't, doesn't achieve what it's supposed to achieve, that's when the coach gets the blame. So, look, I really, I really believe Jason Garrett's in trouble this year. And could he go during the season? I don't know. The thing about Jerry Jones is he can change his mind at the drop of a hat. That's how Jason Garrett got the job. Oh, Wade Phillips isn't going to be fired during the season. Jerry Jones has never fired a coach during the season. He fired Jerry Jones during he fired Wade Phillips during the season and installed Jason Garrett. And all this talk about Jason Garrett, he would be in great demand and he would have offers and his contract expired after the 2014 season and nobody even mentioned his name in connection with seven job openings that year. Seven. And if Jerry Jones is concerned that Jason Garrett's going to get gobbled up by somebody else when he becomes a free agent in January, sign him to a new contract. He's content to wait, Jones is, until the contract expires. Well, why are you content to wait if this guy's in such demand? Because either he's going to leave for one of these other jobs or he's going to use the interest that someone else has as leverage to get you to pay more. So it's all baloney. It's, it's salesmanship. See, there's lying for strategic reasons, and then there's just over-the-top, hucksterish, buffoonery salesmanship. And when Jerry says it, you just don't even take it seriously at this point. He's just saying what he thinks he needs to say in that moment. He's selling, he's selling, he's selling, and there's a lot of exaggeration, hyperbole, and flat-out fabrication that goes into selling. Dean Osborne, 42, how did you go about choosing and assembling the PFT team? That is a question that's not conducive to a fairly quick answer. And we've been very, very fortunate in that we rarely have turnover. And I'd like to think that that means I'm not the complete and total asshole that some would call me. That I'm easy to get along with. That when you're on my team, I'm on your team, and I'm loyal, and I'll defend you, and I'll support you. You make my life easier, I'll make your life easier. And one of the reasons I left the law firm that I practiced at for several years was I started to feel like not everyone's on the same page and I need to be in a place where everyone's on the same page because I don't like having to worry about agendas and politics and who's stabbing who in the back and who's out to get what. I just like to focus on doing what I need to do. Whatever the job is, I want to focus on doing it and I want to be surrounded by people who are focused solely on that. And it helps that we all work out of our homes and we don't have an office. There's nothing like having an office where everybody shows up every day to create the kind of interpersonal dynamics that can cause problems. But we rarely have anyone leave. And usually when someone leaves, it's for a better opportunity. I've never had someone leave for a worse opportunity. We've never fired anybody. So we've been fortunate. And yeah, I try not to take for granted when everything is going smoothly, but it's been going very smoothly for the past couple of years, which of course means something's going to happen. The latest addition was Shereen Williams. She took over for Zach Jackson, who went to the Athletic. That was before I really knew what the Athletic was going to be. And it's like, hey, you know, you do what you got to do. And Shereen fell into our laps. We were in the process of struggling to find somebody that we really, really wanted. I want to be very selective on the front end because once you're in, you're in. And the moment that Shireen became available, my reaction was, 
well, because she had gotten laid off by the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Well, that's horrible for her. And I thought, well, wait a minute, this could be good for us and for her. And it's been great ever since. So with her, with MDS, Josh Alper, Darren Gant, Curtis, who has the night shift. It was a very stable and consistent and supportive and hardworking group. And I rarely, rarely have to deal with any issues. It's always like low-level stuff, like stylistic, like can you change this word or can you remove this? Or this, hey, there's extra white space at the bottom of your story. I mean, it's it's never anything that requires any serious involvement by me. I can just, I can go about my business. I don't want to manage people. I want to produce content and I don't want to have to worry about managing. I know that Peter King didn't like that aspect of the micro site that he had at SI.com. And one of the reasons he came to NBC is he didn't want to have to manage. It's like, I don't have to manage. I've, I've, I'm a manager, but I'm, I don't have to manage. And I kind of like that. Fittison Kane, does the fact that John Elway didn't put in the work as a scout before becoming a GM hurt his drafting ability? I don't know. It hurts his credibility as a GM. Because I think the 10 to 15 to 20 years of experience, it's that whole 10,000 hours thing, the Malcolm Gladwell thing, watching film, going on the road, learning how to learn what you need to know about players. Yeah, I think it did, now that I think about it. You're getting installed at the top of the pyramid without climbing it. And I have gone full circle. I have to self-report myself, as Sims would say, to old takes exposed because after the Broncos won the Super Bowl, people started jamming my Twitter timeline with all the things I had said about what a mistake it was for the Broncos to hire John Elway. And then I said, hey, I was completely wrong. It was absolutely the right thing to do. And now four years later, well, maybe I was wrong about saying I was wrong. I retract my retraction. Remember, it wasn't like John Elway's deciding to get into managing a football team and they lined up for him and he picked the Broncos, which is what it will be if Peyton Manning decides he wants to work in a front office, although I think he's going to wait for an opportunity to get a piece of equity, if not become the primary owner, which he doesn't nearly have enough money to be the primary owner. He could be the face of a franchise. He could be the voice of a franchise with some multi-billionaire that would prefer to be anonymous and stay in the background. But with Elway, it was only the Broncos. And I don't think they knew what to do at that point. And they thought, hey, let's bring back John and let John do it. And, you know, John had had some scouting knowledge, even if he hadn't put in the work. And he had, you know, the propensity to, to understand how the game works and study film and whatnot. And he put people around him he could trust. And it worked because they got Peyton Manning to play quarterback. Other than that, it's been one mistake after another in the drafting of quarterbacks, the signing of veteran quarterbacks who are trading for quarterbacks. So how much better would he have been if he learned the craft and spent the bulk of the time from 1998 when he retired until 2011 when he got into the business actually grinding away? Would that have made him better? It wouldn't have made him worse. Dean Osborne, 42. Is there any hope that one day the league office will be more transparent and visible than they are at the moment? They run operations like the Russian government, closed doors in secrecy with the odd dictatorial broadcast, paying audience deserves better. I don't think under the current commissioner it's going to be that way. The question is, will it change under the next commissioner whenever the next commissioner arrives? The head of PR is as invisible as the current White House press secretary. More invisible. I don't think I've ever seen Jocelyn Moore give an interview. I don't think I've seen quotes from her beyond the press release when she was hired. I mean, it's scattered. Once every few months, maybe something in a press release. But never answering any questions. Never setting the agenda never getting the message out. And this is the point I made in the aftermath of the Monday night debacle, Lions-Packers game. The NFL needs someone who, in those moments, in the aftermath of those games, can call radio stations, can appear on TV shows, can call podcasts like this one, and answer the tough questions. 
and tell a persuasive story and admit mistakes when mistakes are made. That's what they need. Now, do they really need it? Because they're still printing money without it. But that whole concept of public confidence in and the integrity of the sport of professional football, that thing that they use as a hammer to go after players whenever they feel like it, I just wonder how much time they spend aspiring to that ideal. Because there should be greater transparency and there should be a better effort to put out the fire, not just go hide under the bed until the fire goes out. And have somebody that who, who is credible. Now, there's always going to be people who complain and there's always going to be people who say that's BS. You have to at least be able to ignore the folks on social media who are going to throw rocks no matter what you say, no matter what you do, because they're pissed off the call went against them. But at least they're going to be a little less pissed off if you're transparent, if you're open, and if you give an explanation. And here's the key. They're going to be less inclined to think that there's some crazy conspiracy theory going on. In the absence of transparency, in the void of information and explanation, you're going to have people who just assume the worst. I'm telling you, people connected to the NFL texted me after the game on Monday night. Is this happening because Lions coach Matt Patricia wore the Roger Goodell Klon nose shirt coming off of the Super Bowl 51 plane? People start wondering all sorts of crazy things if they aren't given explanations that are plausible. And I don't think anything like that's going on. I don't think it ever does. I don't think that they'd be able to pull it off. Number one, you have to be highly competent to pull off conspiracies. And secondly, there's a lot of people you'd have to keep shut, keep quiet, keep shut or quiet, keep their mouths shut. I think it's too hard to pull it off. At some point, somebody's going to write a book. Somebody's going to go on a show. Somebody's going to have a deathbed confession that they were involved in some sort of scam. I don't think anything like that goes on. Now, there are biases and agendas that can influence decision-making like Deflategate. But when it comes to calls in a game, bad calls in a game, I don't think bad calls are ever the, revo- the result of someone trying to engineer an outcome. But maybe I'm being naive. Dean Osborne, 42, will Patrick Mahomes ever be quite the same player again? Yeah, that's a good question. If he loses any of his ability to almost glide with the ball, he can stop, he can start, he can turn, he can run. The things that he can do while he is always ready to fire off what Sims would call a piss missile with the flick of a wrist, the way he can throw the football. See, he's got two great gifts that have come together. The ability to throw the football accurately and with speed and power from any arm angle and any body position. That is incredible in and of itself. When you add to it a degree of mobility that makes him like Fran Tarkenton, and he can run left, right, backward, forward, and at any point while he's running, he can fire off that piss missile. That's what makes him the best I've ever seen. If this knee... If the maximum degree of improvement medically, once the damage to this knee quiets down, if it doesn't get him to where he was, that's a problem. And see, at some point, Mahomes, if he plays long enough, and who knows, maybe he will be all in on the TB12 plan and he'll be able to run like that until he's 45. But at some point, he's going to have to find a way to get it done without that Tarkenton style running around like crazy and then just flick of the wrist, no look, cross the body, sidearm, Kent to Colby, whatever the case may be. But I'm not ready to assume he won't be the same. Still, to be a true franchise quarterback, you got to be available to your team. Russell Wilson hasn't missed a game. Dak Prescott hasn't missed a game. Tom Brady had that Last year when he got hit low by Bernard Pollard week one. Other than that, hasn't missed a game. 
Dean Osborne, 42. Will we see multiple 0-16 teams this season? No, because a lot of the worst teams play each other. The Bengals and the Dolphins play each other at some point this year. So one of them is not going to be 0-16. But I think there's a chance one of them will be. And the Dolphins seem to be more motivated than the Bengals. The Bengals are just a mess. The Bengals should trade off anyone and everyone. They should accept offers for any veteran player who is worth a crap on that team. They should just strip it down and rebuild it next year in the draft and the year after and the year after that. This team's in bad shape. And people have asked me, is Zach Taylor in danger of being one and done? Mike Brown does not like to pay people to not work for him. So unless Zach Taylor's contract is a one-year deal with a series of one-year options after that and they wouldn't owe him anything... He's not going anywhere, and they're just going to have to try to turn this around on the fly. And it starts with getting a new quarterback, and that's the reason to try to be the worst team in the NFL. You get the first pick, you get your pick of the quarterbacks. Some think the Dolphins are in a two-year tank and that they don't want Tua Tungavailoa. They want Trevor Lawrence. Maybe the Bengals end up getting Tua. And then next year, the Dolphins get Trevor Lawrence. Tom Marshall, a.k.a. a Red Zone Alk is, you know, it never occurred to me before that, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that properly, Aredzonak. There's no E. Aredzonak. There's a lot of different ways you could pronounce it. Tom Marshall. Is Steve Kime trying to drive up the price by insisting that Patrick Peterson will not be traded? Yes. And it's not driving up the price. It's preserving your leverage. Once you put a for sale sign in the yard, once you become a motivated seller, you get less. The Jaguars insisted they're not trading Jalen Ramsey, and they really didn't want to trade him, but they dug in, they held firm, and somebody got sufficiently desperate to offer two first-round picks and a fourth-round pick. Sold. And the way that Kime was talking up Patrick Peterson, you could interpret his comments as maybe a slap at the Jaguars for trading him. Hey, if somebody calls the Cardinals and says, we'll give you two first-round picks and a fourth-round pick for Patrick Peterson, if Kime says no, tell him to pack his stuff and get the hell out. We've been debating on Twitter, and we posted an item earlier at PFT, and Big Cat and I talked about it on PFT Live. Who are the players that you would not trade for two ones and a four? There aren't many. Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, maybe Aaron Rodgers, Although in the offseason, I think that the Packers would be more inclined to consider it because they're in the midst of a potentially special season. Bill Belichick, I think, would consider it more seriously than you realize if that offer came along right now for Tom Brady. Non-quarterbacks, Aaron Donald. Beyond that, it's debatable. Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey. I don't know. It's two first-round picks and a fourth-round pick for a running back. You can find running backs anywhere, but these are two great running backs. The problem is you got to pay them soon. See, that's the other factor in all of this. You swap out a guy that's making a ton of money or is about to be making a ton of money for cheap talent who will be with you for five years if you want that fifth year, if it's a first-round pick, and for four years if it's a fourth-round pick. The other factor is, does the guy want to be there? Jalen Ramsey didn't want to be in Jacksonville. Khalil Mack didn't want to be in Oakland because Oakland didn't want to pay him. There aren't many guys, though that you would not say hell yes to an offer of two ones and a four. And I think it would take far less than that to get Patrick Peterson from the Cardinals. But you have to take the position you're not trading him. Number one, to get the best possible offer. And number two, so it's not awkward when you've put the guy out there on the market and you didn't trade him. Another one from Tom Marshall. Should the Chiefs trade for Ryan's fit, Brian Fitzpatrick and sit Patrick Mahomes for a longer period, say four to six games? Well, Big Cat made the argument that they should consider shutting him down for the year. So you don't have a second injury that requires a serious surgery that undermines his ability to be successful in 2020. We're going to have this guy for 15 years. Let's not screw him up. Let's not, let's not RG3 him. Now, I'm convinced that RG3 had the torn ACL before the knee bent a way that knees shouldn't bend in that playoff game against Seattle to cap the 2012 season. I think he tore the ACL against the Ravens in December or late November, whenever that was. 
Mahomes, if he's healthy and you're sure he's healthy and he's not at risk of re-injury, then you play him. But if there's any doubt, if there's any question, they need to be very careful about this. They need to be very strategic about it. If there is any doubt, they need to think about going with someone else. And I don't know that it'd be Ryan Fitzpatrick. I believe Marcus Mariota makes sense. And I've poked around a little bit, and it won't surprise me if they make a run at Marcus Mariota, if they decide they need somebody other than Matt Moore and Chad Henney. Remember, Henney's on injured reserve, and he's eligible to return from injured reserve. Ideally, you want somebody who knows the offense. But Mariota went into Arrowhead and beat them in a playoff game, and that has to count for something. All right, at this point, what I'm going to do is let you hear from Greg Olson, Panthers tight end, who will be calling the Cardinals at Giants game this Sunday. The Panthers are on a bye. We talk about that. We talk about other things. Here's the full interview from yesterday with Greg Olson. Joining us now, a guy who is in his 13th, yes, 13th season in the National Football League, four years with the Bears, first round pick in 2007, ninth season with the Carolina Panthers. He is tight end Greg Olson. Greg, how are you, man? I'm doing well. How's it going? Thanks for having me on. Did you ever dream you would play 13 years in the NFL when you were drafted in 2007? To be honest with you, no. I I don't think anybody, when they set out getting drafted, envisioned, you know, making it this long. I think everyone's, you know, kind of the first hurdle everyone wants to get is get through your first contract. And then I think after that, everyone says if you can get over 10 years. So to still be going uh, in 13 I'm still feeling relatively good, I think, is uh, is definitely a blessing and something that I'm definitely appreciative of and don't take for granted, that's for sure. 34 years old now. Do you have a magic number in mind? We hear 45 all the time with Tom Brady. Russell Wilson saying 45. Obviously, it's easy for quarterbacks to do that. Do you have a number where you want to get to or plan to get to and then walk away? Yeah, I will not play till 45. You can put me on. You can put me on record for that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I don't know. I think I, you know, at this point, just kind of taking it year by year. Um, So far this year, I've been feeling pretty healthy. Uh, The last couple of weeks feel like I've been able to move around the way I've been accustomed to before the foot injury and before some of the other things. So, you know, if I can continue to feel well, I don't think uh, I don't have like a, you know, one more year, no more years. I kind of, at the end of this season, I'll, I'll look at everything. I'll take a look at how I feel, take a look at all the different, you know, aspects of playing still. Do I want to do the off seasons? Do I want to make that time commitment and, and make a decision from there? But as long as physically I feel good and I feel like I can play at a high level and do the things I've been accustomed to over my career, then I'm not in a huge rush to uh, to call it to call it quits. It was a strange start to the season for the Panthers. Two home losses, only four days apart, but now four wins in a row since then. What is the moment, Greg, that that everything turned around for this team? I think it's hard to put our finger on it. I think, you know, obviously we've played a lot better. We've played a lot more complimentary ball over the last four weeks. Um, you know, the first two games, you know, we really just didn't play well. You know, when the offense was struggling, you know, we needed the defense to pick us up. And if, you know, the defense had a couple bad drives, we needed the offense to pick us up. And we just had, we weren't doing that. And then this year, this past four weeks, it seems like we've, we've really helped each other out. If we have had a couple three and outs, you know, the defense would have a turnover. The defense would force a quick three and out and get us back on the field and vice versa. So I think our greatest strength right now as a team is, you know, we're pretty, we're playing pretty well balanced football. You know, all the aspects are, are helping. We're not just relying on the offense, not just relying on the defense or one particular player. I think, you know, aside from how Christian, how good Christian's been, we've gotten a contribution from a lot of different players on both sides of the ball. And to win in this league consistently, that you have to have that. So we, we got to continue to, use that as our formula going forward and and if we can do that i think you know we can we can play and and beat anybody you mentioned christian mccaffrey one of the finest running backs in the nfl getting some mvp buzz when was the moment that you first knew this kid was special yeah i think anybody who watched him in college i i think you know he he just was different he he there was something unique about him you know, what he was able to do, how dynamic he was. You know, we've seen a lot of special players in college for whatever reason don't make the transformation, but, you know, to, you know, the transition to the NFL. But there was just something different about him. And then when we drafted him that year and met him in the offseason and was, were around him, you could see that, you know, he wasn't your typical rookie. He's still not your typical, you know, 24-year-old. He's got a, 
a maturity about him that's well beyond his years. He has a great understanding of what it means to be a pro and what great understanding of what it means to take care of yourself and, and training in the off season and his diet. And just, he really has a unique approach for such a young player. And you can see the results on the field. You can see, you know, what he's able to handle from volume standpoint, the amount of touches and carries he can handle um, is not commonplace in today's NFL. So he's, he's, a, he's a unique player. He's got a special uh, you know, approach to him, and the, all that together, you can see the results on the field. You guys were the subjects of the All or Nothing series that Amazon does every year now. And there was a moment, halftime of the game against the Steelers. You were 6-2. and two. It wasn't going well. And Ron Rivera, I mean, it could appeal to paint off the wall with the, the profanity and the fire that he had. Did he do anything like that after you guys got started to turn it around? Was, has there been a moment like that this year that reminded you of that halftime speech? Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a very good one. Um, you know, thankfully we haven't had any, a game like that uh, since then where we just really got outclassed and and beat you know really soundly like we did last year against Pittsburgh on that on that Thursday night. Um, you know, the games we lost this you know we lost by one score to the Rams and we lost by you know a yard you know to to the to the Bucks in Week Two. So you know we knew we weren't far off. We knew that we didn't need a complete transformation. We didn't need to reinvent ourselves. You know, what's nice about having been around Ron now together for nine years, you know, there's only a few of us that have been here now with him the whole time. You know, we've had some down, we've had some down times. Not everything has been, you know, wins and winning streaks and Super Bowl runs. You know, we've had some tough, tough years, some off years where we've learned a lot about ourselves. And I think Ron's greatest asset is when, when people count us out and people think that we're down on the mat and we're not going to get back up. He has a great way of rallying the troops. He has a great way of keeping the locker room intact. He never loses the guys. He never His message never runs old. And I think it's his greatest strength as a coach, and, and you can see it now this year. You know, we were 0-2, both at home, but, you know, 10 days into the season. Everyone had us, you know, dead. And here we are four games in a row. Guys never lost faith. Guys never lost, you know, trust that what we were able to do. And we were able to kind of get our, get our season back on track. And, and that's a credit to him and – and his leadership over the last nine years. A couple of weeks ago, Cam Newton posted a video where he was very candid about his foot injury and that he kept a lot of it to himself the first couple of weeks of the season. Did you sense something wasn't right with him those first two games, that maybe that foot wasn't 100%? You know, the thing about Cam, and even the last years with with the shoulder injury and stuff, you know, he's not one that's going to go out of his way to tell people how hurt he is. He's not going to go out of his way to, you know, make it an excuse and make it, you know, a reason for – you know, for poor play or a reason for anything, he, it's just not how he is. So, I mean, yeah, we knew he had gotten hurt, you know, in, in that game against the Patriots, and we knew he had a foot problem and, you know, battling through it. But, you know, we've seen him battle through a lot of things over the years, and, and we didn't think this would be any different. But, you know, it's hard. I, I know firsthand it's hard playing. It's hard enough to play in the NFL to start with, and it's hard to play and go out there on Sunday knowing you're, you're – you know, not your full self and not able to do all the things that you're accustomed to do. And for him, that's a big part of his game is having that confidence in his mobility and having his confidence that he's going to get out of bad situations with his feet and move and keep plays alive. And, uh, you know, it's not easy to play when, when, when you're not able to, to do what you're accustomed to. So he, uh, he had to take a step back after that Tampa game and him and the team came to the realization that he needed to get himself healthy. He needed to get himself right. And, and that's the process that we're in right now. I do a weekly radio spot on WFNZ in Charlotte, and I can tell they're already getting twisted up about the Cam Newton-Kyle Allen question that is looming. As a guy who's a team leader, a veteran, who's been there for nine years with Ron Rivera, what's your role in making sure that the younger guys don't get distracted by any discussion, debate, when is Cam ready? Is Kyle Allen going to keep playing because he's got the hot hand? How do you keep any of that stuff from becoming an issue among the players? Yeah, we just need to let the, the people who handle those decisions handle that. And, and whether that's the medical team with Cam's health or the coaching staff and the, and the front office folks who make those decisions, you know, let them handle it. And the rest of us, we need to focus on, on all, what we control, and that's our role on the team and, and our preparation and, and gearing up for a, for a big 10-week stretch here coming off the bye. So we come out of the gate fast with going out to San Francisco, you know, one of the best best teams in the league right now. So we have enough things on our plate as players and, and the rest of the locker room to, to concern ourselves with getting ready for, you know, this post by stretch. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll let the other people handle, handle their roles, you know, the medical team and, and Ron and, and the GM, and, and we'll let them handle, 
that transition of getting Cam and when he's back ready and all those questions. They'll answer those questions when they're relevant. Um, and in the meantime, the rest of us just have to continue to, to prepare ourselves to play well, uh, regardless of what decisions made. Bye week for the Panthers, but you're going to be working this Sunday, the Cardinals-Giants game for Fox. And you played the Cardinals back in week three. They didn't have Patrick Peterson. How much different do you expect that defense to be with Peterson coming back this weekend? No, I know they hope. I think from reading all their stuff as I've prepped for the game the last couple of days, I, I know they have big, you know, big hopes. I know Vance Joseph and, and, and Kingsbury, I know they have, you know, a lot of hope that he's going to change their secondary and, and make them better defending the pass. Right now, that's kind of been their Achilles heel is, is their pass defense, and, and they've really struggled to stop opposing passing games. Um, you know, last week being not much different, even though they were able to win, it took a great effort from, from Kyler Murray and that offense to outduel. Matt Ryan and the Falcons. So I think, um, you know, I think that what's funny is I think the Giants offense and, you know, Daniel Jones had a rough outing last week, of course, against, against the Patriots who make a lot of young quarterbacks. And, you know, for that matter, any quarterback, they, they give them fits. I think their offense is looking to take advantage of what they view as a, as a bounce back game against Arizona's secondary. And I think Arizona's secondary might have a little breath of fresh air now with Patrick Peterson coming back, but also saying, all right, this is a passing game that we can contain and we can get ourselves back on track here as, uh, as the season's moving forward. So I think both teams look at this as a bounce back game for what they perceive as right now their weaknesses. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that, that comes together on Sunday. Greg's been with us here today on behalf of his partner, Smartwater Alkaline. Greg, tell us what you have going on with them. Yeah, so when we finish up the game on Sunday, I'm going to fly back to Charlotte. On Monday, we have our uh, first annual Hardest Yard Fit Fest. Um, I've been on with you. We've talked a lot about our community work and, and what we do back in the Charlotte community for the local children's hospital after our son's um, battle with a congenital heart defect. And we're, we're holding a, a Fit Fest, which is like a it's like a three-in-one fitness-type program. We have different instructors from around town come. We've got five or 600 people. We're going to do it in the practice bubble that we just built at our facility and, and alkaline and smart water alkalines, a big partner of ours back home in the community. Um, they're going to be there at the event, helping us ensure everyone stays hydrated, making sure everyone has a great time and, and, uh, and raise as much money and awareness as we can, where we think this is going to be a great event. It's another kind of staple of our calendar um, of events that, that we run on an annual basis to try to raise money for, for the children's hospital. And, and we're thankful for smart waters, uh, you know, partnership, you know, both on and off the field. Excellent stuff you're doing, Greg, and it's, it's great to see players like yourself making such an impact in the community. One more that I forgot to ask you about. You know, the last time you did a game for Fox, there was a little bit of a controversy. Uh, you may have heard about it. I don't know. Maybe you remember. Maybe you don't. I was waiting for you to bring it up. I, was, I, was, I, was, I was saving it for the end. This time around, it's nothing, though, because you don't play the Giants later this year. How different is it when you don't have one of the teams that you're calling the game for on your schedule? Have you noticed less tension, less problem getting ready for the Cardinals Giants game. I just, there hasn't been as many pro football talk articles about me doing it. So I think that the fans, <laughs> I think that's really the main difference. I think if, if you would have taken a few more, <laughs> had a few more entries onto the site, maybe we could have drummed up a little more controversy <laughs> and you See, don't have Sims good. knocking was, uh... me anymore. And you don't have Sims knocking me anymore. Yeah, we were, we were helping promote the Greg Olson brand. You should have asked for a game involving the Falcons or the Buccaneers. Well, you already played the Buccaneers twice. <laughs> so I, when we were doing it with Fox, I said, hey, can you make sure it's San Francisco and whoever we play, the next NFC team, I want to make sure we can drum up as much controversy as we can because I'm really hoping that I make CFC. But, uh, oh, no, great I, stuff, I, buddy. Having already played Arizona, I, I think everyone's kind of come around on I think it's going to be fun. I think um, – It'll be cool to be back here in, in New York. I grew up not far from MetLife Stadium, so I think it'll be uh, a fun opportunity. Yeah, I remember when we saw you at the Super Bowl, you and Sims had a New Jersey moment. I just kind of backed away and let you two go at it. <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, all People right, man. Jersey, all right, good luck this right, week. Thanks so much. Thanks, yep. Mike. Hey, hey, buddy, thanks for your yeah. time. Take care. All right, thanks again to Greg Olson for some of his time, and thank you for listening to the interview. We're going to continue with more of your questions after I remind you that you should trust the friendly, knowledgeable parts professionals at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Their professionals know what it takes to get the job done right. Professional technicians have counted on O'Reilly Auto Parts for years. Come see for yourself. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. All right, back to the questions.
Seth Mitzel, a.k.a. at Skull Mitzel. Could you see a situation happen in Washington, similar to what happened in Arizona last year, where the new coach wants his own quarterback and moves on from Haskins to draft his quarterback? It wouldn't shock me. I mean, Josh Rosen was the 10th overall pick, and he got thrown overboard. If Washington ends up with the first overall pick or high enough in the draft that they get a guy they really like and the new coach gets that guy, then maybe Haskins is gone. See, that's the challenge. If you're going to fire, well, you have fired Jay Gruden, but if you're going to hire a new coach and you want that coach to want to work with Dwayne Haskins, how do you know that he's telling you the truth when he interviews? Because he's not going to sit for the interview and say, hey, my first order of business is to run off the guy you just made the 15th overall pick in the draft. Coaches have a more subtle way of getting the job. Once you have the job, that five-year contract, whatever the the amount of the money is, guaranteed, whatever, you can do whatever you want at that point. You're golden. You can undermine the quarterback. See, here's my concern with this guy. See, here's some film from practice. He's having always having a hard time with the playbook. Uh, You know, he's just not clicking. I don't know. I thought he was going to be okay, but... You know, we're really having issues. Now, when Josh McDaniels was the coach in Denver, he quickly got rid of Jay Cutler. When the, uh, you know, other, co- other coaches have taken more time. They've taken a year. And then after a year, they can move on to someone else. Remember when... Adam Gase became the head coach of the Dolphins. I was told that he was going to give Ryan Tannehill a year, and then after that it was going to be up to him if he wanted to move on. And he saw enough from Tannehill that he liked it. He wanted to keep going with it. The problem was the partially torn ACL that happened during the 2016 season that became a fully torn ACL early in training camp in 2017, and that derailed both Gase and Tannehill in Miami. But you want to give the new coach... See, that's the, other, that's the other side of it. Do you, and remember, dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. If you're Washington, you insist on somebody who definitely wants Dwayne Haskins, and you're obsessed with making sure that, that, uh, that they want the coach who wants the quarterback, and the quarterback and the coach are going to work together. If you spend too much time being obsessed with that, then it, it just could make... A dysfunctional situation even worse I think you just go find the best coach and you hope the coach wants the quarterback and you let the coach that you believe in assess and evaluate the quarterback and if he wants to make a change then you got to be ready to make a change all right let's see what I gotta send a text here real quick let's see let's see I'm getting some texts here that I am it's it's a sick it's a it could be but don't see what kind of a story it is here there could be something cooking. This is real time behind the curtain, how things work at the PFTPM podcast. I can't ignore that my phone keeps blowing up, and I just got a couple of texts that caught my attention. And, oh, well, it's too late. All right, never mind. Uh, <laughs> here we go. On to the next one. Never mind. Ignore all of that. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. David Wallace. How much do you think the mistrust of Kirk Cousins by his own teammates comes from his allegedly poor leadership form off the field and how much is from his performance on it? I think that if there is mistrust of Kirk Cousins, it's because the players are smart enough to know that in big spots, he doesn't perform. He doesn't deliver. I have reason to believe that players understand that they're humans. Big game, night game, doesn't deliver. Big throw, big spot, doesn't deliver. That's the difference between good and great quarterbacks. The great quarterbacks, the championship-level quarterbacks, they are the ones who deliver in the big spot. Championship throw to championship moment. Jared Goff hitting Brandon Cooks, not throwing the ball late after he failed to see him the second time they ran the play that popped Brandon Cooks wide-ass open, and he missed him the first time. And the second time, he waited too long and gave Jason McCourty, I think it was, enough time to run over and break up the pass. I think that's one of the problems. Now, can that change? It'd be a hell of a story if all of a sudden Kirk Cousins finds a higher level of performance, and maybe he just needs to do it once, right? Maybe if he makes a big throw in a big spot on Sunday against the Lions, that gives him a little more a little more confidence. And then Thursday night, they get Washington. It's a primetime game against a team they should kick the crap out of. 
Maybe that gives them a little more confidence. Then they go to Kansas City against a team that won't have Patrick Mahomes. If they could win that game, that gives them a little more confidence. And then comes the ultimate test, Week 10 at Dallas. They go there and win that game with a big throw and a big spot made by Kirk Cousins. The demons could be exercised by the time they get through Week 10 and their bye week arrives. Now, that's a lot to expect for a team that's currently 4-2 and two to win four games in a row. They have Denver before the bye. So they get an, a winnable game on their way to their break. I'll believe it when I see it. I think we've seen enough from the guy since he entered the league in 2012. We know who he is. You're not going to have some dramatic change, and suddenly the planets are going to line up, and the world is going to just expand, and everything's going to slow down, and it's going to be like the end of the Matrix when you're you know, seeing things in five dimensions, and, and uh, you put your hand out, and you stop bullets, or whatever the hell that was. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Aren't they, are they making another one? Keanu Reeves, right? I remember I really liked the first one, and then the second one came out, and it was horrible, and then there was a third one, and I think I I like started watching on DVD and just stopped. But the first one was really good. That's my movie review for the day. The Matrix was good. Another one from David Wallace. What do you think the Panthers are going to do about Cam Newton? The fan base is really on Kyle Allen's side. Cam seems to be an afterthought. Do you think they'll at least listen to offers? I don't know what anyone would offer for Cam Newton in trade. First of all, you want to be sure he's healthy before you give up anything. I think what you do is when Cam Newton is 100%, you put him out on the field and you play him and you don't worry about him getting injured. I feel like they've been handcuffed in recent years with this concern that they don't know how to use Cam Newton. And if you run him too much, he's going to get hurt. And, well, we got to watch his shoulder. And, you know, yeah, just go play him because if he gets hurt, you got Kyle Allen. Let him play with reckless abandon. Let him be the Cam Newton of 2015. And don't worry about him getting hurt. If he gets hurt, you got Kyle Allen. And what's Kyle Allen going to do? Complain? Cam Newton was a 2015 MVP. The challenge is going to be selling it to the locker room. And I asked Greg Olson about that. As a team leader, you've got to make sure the locker room is on board with this. you got to make sure that there aren't factions, that there's no schism in the locker room. Remember that one? That was uh, the Brett Favre, Tavares Jackson schism before the Vikings acquired Favre. You put Cam Newton back in, though, and Cam Newton plays like old Cam Newton, there won't be a schism. And I think that's the best way to go once he's 100%. And he has to prove he's 100% because he concealed the extent of the injury week one and week two. The fact that he's supposedly coming back to practice next week, I'm not going to assume that that's accurate and truthful until I get him out on the practice field and I put him through the paces, and I'm sure he can run, he can cut, and he's the same old Cam. That he's just not saying what he has to say because he feels what the fans in Charlotte are starting to believe, that they should just cast their lot with Kyle Allen. And the one thing about a team built around Kyle Allen, which is really built around Christian McCaffrey and a great defense, but with Kyle Allen at quarterback, you're not constantly worried about the guy getting injured. It removes a lot of your stress as a fan. David Wallace, why hasn't Dan Quinn been fired yet? Oh, David, it's coming. Big Cat thinks if they lose to the Rams on Sunday in ugly fashion, he could be gone. I think he gets until the Seahawks game, and then he's fired during the bye week. And then the question becomes, who will be the interim coach? Will it be Raheem Morris? Will it be Mike Malarkey? Will it be Dirk Cutter? Three head coaches on the roster to choose from. Leapers 500, how can Roger Goodell say with a straight face that PI replay review is working as expected? It's farcical. Did they really expect an unusable system whose standards have shifted from murky to utterly opaque and useless? Well, he's not going to say anything else. He's not going to say we really blew this. Teams are upset because they changed the standard without telling them. That's why we had four or five weeks of coaches throwing red flags when they shouldn't have because the coaches figured it out. Because because I don't know how much the coaches pay attention to what's going on with other teams and other games. They're kind of caught up in their own world from the standpoint of trends. And now, look, I'm sure Bill Belichick knew, but other coaches may not have the capacity to pay attention to those kind of details. So we had coaches throwing red flags when they shouldn't have. And the last one came last Thursday night, Pat Shermer, when Golden Tate was clearly interfered with, and Shermer threw the red flag, and the decision came quickly. It was a, why are you wasting your time? decision. That's how fast it was. So look, I don't have a problem with where it currently is. 
because I think replay review for pass interference was a mistake. And as Al Riveron was explaining during the summertime to teams and to media how he was going to implement this new procedure, I was very concerned. And at one point, I posted an open plea to the commissioner, save us from what Al Riveron's going to do with replay review. He was the most powerful guy, still was the most powerful guy in football. But if he uses that power, if he uses the ability to give one team 50 yards of field position because when he does a frame-by-frame review of the play, he sees what he believes is clear and obvious evidence of significant hindrance of the receiver. That's 50 yards. And you can take away 50 yards by finding offensive pass interference because somebody was blocking more than a yard downfield. Completely unrelated to the play. So I think it's good that they're not using this as literally written. They screwed it up. Here's how they screwed it up. Rich McKay, the chairman of the competition committee, was convinced they could just keep their heads low and their mouths shut and not do anything in the aftermath of Rams Saints. It's a once in 50 to 75 to 100 year event. There's no reason to do anything. It was a failure, but it's never going to happen again, or at least it's not going to happen anytime soon. That's what McKay wanted to do, but he didn't have a good feel for how others felt. So when everyone got to Arizona for the league meetings and they all came together and said, we have to do something. They whipped up this nasty batch of sausage with replay review extended to pass interference. And remember, when they were going into that meeting on that late Tuesday afternoon in Arizona, it was going to be pass interference and hits on defenseless players and roughing the passer. It was all subject to replay review. What a mess that would have been. So they came out with a one-year experiment for replay review, and next year they got to do something else. Now, for the rest of the year, you know, I... I just, I've been arguing that the, the only way to fix officiating, and, and there's a, a, a PR component to it, the games that are played in a cluster at 1 p.m. Eastern, if there's a mistake there, if there's a bad call there, it doesn't get the same attention that a standalone game does, like the 425 p.m. Eastern big game or the primetime games. During those big spot games, that's when Al Riveron, Russell Yerk, and Wayne Mackey need to be sitting there acting as the de facto sky judge. And if there is a mistake, they need to talk through that pipeline. And yes, it's a violation of protocol, but that's the only way to bridge the gap between what we see and what the officials on the field see. And if those three guys kind of look at each other and say, yeah, we need to tell them they made a mistake there, that's how you fix it. That's how you avoid the kind of criticism that the NFL absorbed all day all day Tuesday and into Wednesday. And it's still echoing into Friday. And let me tell you, if they had done it during the NFC Championship game, We'd never done with that, dealt with any of this crap. If they only had buzzed the referee of that game and said, drop a flag right now, drop a flag right now, pass interference, defense, do it now. And if anybody had ever found out, are they going to be upset? It clearly was pass interference. Who cares if they're violating the rules regarding the usage of the pipeline that communicates the league office directly to the referee who cares as long as they get the calls right i've said that from the day they started that thing where dean blandino was able to speak in real time through this ultra high speed fiber line that every stadium has it started off as consultation to create consistency in how the 17 referees were implementing and applying replay review it started off as consultation and it quickly became the VP of officiating is in charge. Well, but you can't use that ability for other things. Well, maybe you should. Leapers 500, another question. I find the Broncos worse than ever. If there is no owner and instead there is an ad hoc management trio of Joe Ellis and others, can Elway's seat actually ever get warm? I don't think so. Who's going to fire John Elway? You'd have to have those three trustees consulting with Brittany Bolin, who they eventually are going to give the keys to the franchise to. She's going to win the Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory intra-family competition. Seven kids. She's going to win it. Now, she's supposed to return to work for the team this year. It could be that they convene a meeting with her, and maybe this is her last test. How does she handle herself while they have to make this decision about what they're going to do with John Elway? How does she handle herself when it's time for John Elway to come in? When this guy who's pushing 60 has to meet with, I think she's maybe, is she, is she in her 30s yet? I don't know. How can she handle, will she handle herself well in that situation? And that's the final test. Then congratulations. You, you, you get the chocolate factory. But see, at some point, Broncos fans, you heard the booing last night. They've been spoiled by a team that is rarely 
irrelevant. A team that is rarely not competitive. They hadn't had back-to-back losing seasons since 1971-1972. All right, there's a non-football question from Leapers 500. I may circle back to in the final five minutes. Maz wants to know, what is the best team with the worst record? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I'm looking in the front cover of the record and fact book, and I'm operating off a memory as to what the records are. Would the Steelers be the best team with the worst record at 2-4? and Maybe the Browns. Are they the best team with the worst record? Potentially. The Rams, 3-3, are they better than that? I'd probably go Rams. Rams, 3-3, a half game out of the basement in the NFC West. They're probably better than 3-3. They should have beaten the Seahawks. If Greg Zerline can make a 44-yard field goal, which is basically a chip shot in today's game, they're 4-2. The Bucs game was like, what the hell? The one that really gave me concern, and apparently gave the Rams enough concern to go get Jalen Ramsey, was the splattering they absorbed at the hands of the 49ers. Dave wants to know, why do the Dolphins still exist? As a fan of football, if that was my team, there's no way I'm ever watching another game ever. The ratings locally have plummeted. I was surprised by the size of the crowd at the Washington-Miami game. This is part of the price you pay when you deliberately... Here's what they're doing. I mean, I, I know for a fact that Stephen Ross, the owner of the team, is saying this and has said this. Now, maybe he's being more discreet about it now. But, but he basically, in an interview early in the season, echoed this concept with softer language. The idea is you can continue to run on this treadmill of slap the best possible team together that you can, finish in the middle of the pack, and hope that you're high enough in the middle of the pack that you can wind your way to the playoffs and then you lose. He wants to build a championship team that wins double-digit games every year. So he's deliberately taking a step back in order to take multiple steps forward. This is a multi-year proposition. That's why when the commissioner says he doesn't see tanking, you can reliably conclude that he's not telling the truth or he's not looking for tanking. He's being deliberately naive or he's misconstruing what he sees. All the Dolphins are trying to win every game. Those players are trying to win every game. Yeah, the players are, but when you trade off all the best players, when you go with Josh Rosen instead of Ryan Fitzpatrick, when Fitzpatrick may help you more to win right now, but you want to develop Josh Rosen or at least see what you have in Josh Rosen, you are not trying to win every single game. And the Dolphins don't care about winning this year. But they still exist because they hope to find their next Dan Marino. And they hope to turn it around. And they hope to become a competitive team. A great team. They're looking at a future that won't have Tom Brady in the AFC East. There's going to be a vacuum there. There's going to be a void there. And it looks like the Bills for now are in the best position to take it over. But maybe the Jets could. Maybe the Dolphins could. And you know what? Maybe there won't be a vacuum. Maybe the Patriots will still be pretty damn good after Tom Brady leaves because they'll still have Bill Belichick. Joe Black, if you're the Chiefs, do you keep Patrick Mahomes out until after the Vikings? Some teams you just don't want your quarterback to play injured against if you can avoid it. Well, he's out three weeks anyway. So next week, Packers. The week after that, Vikings. The week after that, at Titans. I think the earliest we see him is when they go to Mexico. Remember, they were supposed to go to Mexico last year to play the Rams. It didn't work out. This year, they're going to Mexico to play the Chargers. The Chargers stink, and it could be Matt Moore playing quarterback. The folks in Mexico are going to be saying, we want the game we were going to have last year. Locker room talk. Excluding Barry Switzer, who's the worst head coach to win a Super Bowl? Ooh, wow. Man, I don't... Ooh. The worst coach to win a Super Bowl. Hmm. I don't want to inadvertently stain the legacy of a Super Bowl winning head coach unfairly. It would have to be a guy who only won one Super Bowl, obviously. It would be argued that it was a fluke Super Bowl. It would be argued that it was a guy who hasn't been with the team very long and he took talent that was already there and managed to win a Super Bowl with the team that someone else built and cultivated. And I'm looking at all the teams that have won 
Super Bowls. And I would say, I would say that it's either John Gruden or Brian Billick. John Gruden stepped into a team that had a championship caliber defense that had been built by Tony Dungy and Monty Kiffin, the coordinator, was still there and Gruden didn't get in the way. That was the smartest thing he did that year. Don't get in the way of the defense. And he provided enough of a kick in the ass to the offense that it all worked. And right place, right time, playing the Raiders. And as Chris Sims pointed out this week, I thought Super Bowl 36 was the last time there was only a one-week turnaround from the championship games to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 37 was the last one. And so the Raiders had even less time to get their act together and come up with stuff that John Gruden wouldn't recognize. Gruden knew exactly what was coming. I don't know that Gruden beats anybody else in the AFC that year. Well, any of the other great teams. Let me look at it right now. Bear with me. I got the record and fact book, and I've got the 2002 season. Here we go. Page, uh, my God, I don't know. Need magnifying glass. The print gets smaller every year. Isn't that funny? It's not that my eyes are getting worse. The print just gets smaller. If they would have faced the Steelers that year, well, I'm looking at the wrong year, 2002. If they would have faced the Steelers that year, if they would have faced the Titans that year, if they would have faced the the 9-7 and seven Jets that year, you know the Patriots didn't make the playoffs in 2002. If they would have faced Peyton Manning and the Colts that year. That was the year the Cleveland Browns made it to the playoffs. The only time they made it to the playoffs since they've been back in the NFL. I'd say if they'd faced the Steelers, the Titans, or the Colts, they may not have won the Super Bowl. So I'm going to go Gruden. Sorry, Gruden. Hey, I'm rooting for Gruden this weekend. I think Gruden's going to win. And, I mean, being the worst coach to win a Super Bowl is still a coach who won the Super Bowl. Right? I'd rather be the worst coach to ever win a Super Bowl than the best coach to ever not win a Super Bowl. That's for damn sure. So I'd rather be John Gruden and Marv Levy or Bud Grant. Richard Ide, how can the NFL take back control of the league from the refs? The PI replay rule was voted on and passed by the guys that pay them, and they're effectively being insubordinate. Now, no, no, see, Richard, you haven't been following along with what we're saying at PFT. The commissioner or someone at that level told Al Riveron, raise the bar. You're not going to overturn calls and non-calls of pass interference. You're just not going to do it. Now, they could do de facto sky judge for the rest of the year in big games to try to avoid the kind of debacles we saw on Monday night. We'll see if they're willing to do that. And again, if they just would have done that in the NFC Championship game, we wouldn't have been dealing with all this crap all year long. Oh, I play action, Pablo. Don't don't ask me. Don't ask me fantasy questions. This isn't fantasy football live or something like that. There's plenty of plenty of places you can get fantasy football advice. Because let me tell you something. I suck. All right. I admit it. I suck. I suck at fantasy football and I suck at picking games. And I don't know why they pay me to do either one. Well, they don't pay me to play fantasy football. They play me to pick games. And try, I'm not horrible at it, and I at least have a good a good reasoning, and it's a factor that you can consider when it's time for you to make your wagers if you are in a jurisdiction where that is permissible. Um, you know, it's not just like I'm, I'm picking them out of a hat. I have a good reason. I have a good plausible reason for why I think every team's going to win. Whether it plays out that way or not, who knows? Fantasy football, that's not my thing. And I suck at that. Eric Rude. Or Rudd, who pays for the cost of relocating a player when they are traded or signed as a free agent? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I think that I don't think the player ever has to pay for that. The Natural on Tuesday, UNMDS discussed how fantasy football has changed fans' allegiances. Would you not agree that free agency and perhaps more so the salary cap also has had an effect? Yeah, it has. It has because players are no longer tied to a team until the team is done with them. That's the way it used to be. Back in the 70s, you know, the best teams didn't have a single player who had ever played for another team. I remember in the mid-70s, and this may have been the Super Bowl that capped the 75 season, Cowboys and Steelers. The Steelers had a roster that was completely and exclusively made up of guys who had only ever played for the Steelers. And the Cowboys had a roster that was made up of only guys who had ever played for the Cowboys, with one exception. They had a former Steeler, Preston Pearson, on their roster. I think that's true. 
I remember at some point in the 70s that was true. And I think it was when the Steelers and the Cowboys met in Super Bowl X. And now, as Billy Crystal and Jerry Seinfeld have separately said, and I don't know who ripped off whom, and maybe they both thought of it independently, you're just rooting for laundry when you follow an NFL team. Because the guys wearing the laundry change dramatically every year. Neil wants to know, do you foresee the NFL changing the draft system similar to the NBA to avoid teams from tanking? No, no, they won't do a draft lottery because a draft lottery necessarily acknowledges that there's a benefit to being bad because you get more balls in the machine the worse you are. They don't want anyone to notice or acknowledge the connection between sucking during the regular season and being in great position for the draft. It is a ridiculously naive position. They ignore that the same way they used to ignore gambling before gambling became legalized and they realized, hey, we can make a load of money off of this. But it's ridiculous. I talked about this during PFT Live earlier in the week. The example of my friend who had a tiny little poodle and there were five boys in the family and the rule was whenever the dog crapped on the carpet, whoever saw it had to clean it up. So they just never saw it. They never saw it. What? Crap on the car. I don't see any crap. That's the NFL's attitude toward tanking. So they won't do a draft lottery, and Goodell said so this week, because I believe they don't want people to start to bridge that gap between being bad at the end of the regular season, or for all of the regular season, being good for the draft. All right. I got to go because I got to do what WIP. I always start these at 3 o'clock Eastern on Friday, so I know that by 4 o'clock Eastern, I got to get off the, the line. Last question. Uh, um, what the hell? We'll peel back the curtain. Is there a camera and makeup crew at your house when you do PFT Live on TV? How does that work? It works incredibly simply. I have a setup above where I'm sitting now. I'm in my office now with my ISDN machine that sounds like a radio studio. Up above me, there's a TV studio that is the, the uh, attic above my garage. And in there is the full TV studio, and it looks much better on TV than it does when you're in there. And the camera is operated from Connecticut. It's all remotely handled. The lights are all handled from Connecticut. I just go up there, and everything's on. I sit down and do the makeup here. It takes 30 seconds to do the makeup, and uh, that's it. It's simple, very simple. And then I just have to remember to take the makeup off at the, uh, at the end of the show, although my wife sometimes says, why don't you leave the makeup on? kind of an improvement all right that's it hey thanks for everything that you do thanks for your support thanks for your questions i'm sorry i didn't get to all of them remember you got to ask them early on friday because i only have so much time that i can answer them i can't answer all of them there were like 70 of them today but thank you very much and check us out all weekend long at profootballtalk.com enjoy the games this weekend and we will talk on monday At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.